Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Uh, we're going to continue our non-conference previews, uh, kind of finish off the non-con with the Ohio Bobcats. A little bit to talk about here with the coaching change very, very late in the summer. Uh, before we do that, just want to make mention our, our t-shirt fundraiser for the Evanston Community Foundation is still going on. Uh, we're starting to run out of shirts, so you know, jump in there and, and get that. Uh, if you head to our website, westlawpirates.com, you can find the information on how to get to it there. You can also go to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash W-L-P t-shirt. Uh, capitalize the W-L-P and uh, that'll take you to the site where you can pick up your uh, Terminator-themed West Slot Pirates t-shirt and uh, help support a great cause with the Evanston Community Foundation. Yeah, absolutely. It's The response has been great so far. Uh, we know a lot of you are still kind of waiting to jump on board, so come on in. Um, know a lot of you are loving the t-shirts, but um, yeah, the response has been great so far, um, and uh, we hope it continues. So let's uh, take our attention to the Mac. Um, action, I, I, action. I, yeah, little, little action. Uh, not a lot of the action last year for Ohio. Only three games, uh, finishing two and one. Obviously, the Mac was really impacted by COVID, and I, I guess Ohio even more. Uh, only game, being able to play three games. Um, you know the big news from the Bobcats, obviously Frank Solich uh, retiring. I was going to say this is this is the important two game stretch of our schedule where we find out if Ohio was also devastated by the departure of Frank Solich or if it's just Nebraska. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Nebraska just still hasn't recovered, have they? Um, but anyway, so Frank Solich retires. From Ohio, uh, he he'd been there since 2005. So I mean, he'd been there for 17 years. Um, you know, done great stuff there. Uh, health concerns. He he steps back. Tim Albin, uh, the longtime offensive coordinator. He'd been the offensive coordinator as long as Solis had been there. So since 2005. Um, so Albin takes over. You know, I would imagine not too big of a, a departure uh, in strategy or whatnot but you know it's consistency within the program so my my guess is that we're not going to see too much different uh from ohio under albin as we would have under solich but uh um john let's start off by talking about their defense yeah so it's funny you're talking about like there's been this theme over a couple of our previews about the whole idea of culture and how it affects everything. And to your point, right? Like this is a team that even more so than, you know, a D'Antonio at Michigan state, but it's your, you know, it's kind of interesting to juxtapose the two, right? That, right. There's kind of a trusted Solich assistant who's taking the reins here. And, and there probably will be a change um, over time from his departure from a culture standpoint, but it's not going to be felt this quickly i don't think i mean again like you said he was just there for so long um and given all of that and and from my perspective defensive side on the surface like you look at this game and if you're a northwestern fan with any experience uh, wearing the purple you have to like fight the impulse to just start going 
trap, trappy, trap, 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 trap. And I think Northwestern opens against Michigan State, gets two straight games against defenses that aren't just bad. And we talked about this, right? Indiana State, Duke aren't just bad, but bad in the exact right way for Northwestern offensively. And then, you know, October starts with that nationally televised night game in Lincoln. And then the week before that, we play the number one scoring defense in the MAC in 2020 by far. And, you know, so so this is where that knee jerk, that, oh my God, what are we walking into situation here? Uh, and you fans have been scarred, right, by this exact type of situation so many times that there is that knee jerk reaction. But as Sam alluded to off the top, there is a monster asterisk by Ohio's defensive performance last year. They only played three games, and two of those games were against Akron and Bowling Green, the worst offenses in the MAC by far. And the Bobcats lost their other game, giving up 30 points to a Central Michigan offense that was pretty middling the rest of their short season. So, again, yes, best scoring defense in the MAC by far, monster asterisk. They weren't nearly as good as that number makes it seem. But still, Ohio's almost certainly going to be the best defense Northwestern sees in the non-con. This is a team that has been top three in scoring defense in the MAC for the past three years. It's that culture thing we've been talking about, right? And they were fourth in scoring defense the year before that. Ohio just plays good defense. They're a good defensive football team and have been. Um, Now, Ohio is losing a bunch of talent off of last year's team. The biggest through lines through the 2019 and that short 2020 season defensively for the Bobcats were defensive end Austin Conrad and middle linebacker Jared Dorsa, and both of those guys are gone now. This is an even bigger deal because Conrad led Ohio in sacks in 2019, and he and Dorsa were two of the only four players who had a sack for Ohio in 2020 for a team that only had four sacks total. And remember... There might have only been three games, but two of those games were against atrocious offenses, and they still only had four sacks total. Now, Ohio does return the rest of its D-line, including defensive tackle Kylan McCracken, who is a load inside, and he really anchors the line against the run. And really, the whole character of this group is based on stopping the run. So adding to that theme, the Bobcats return an athletic linebacker in Key Thompson, and two excellent all-MAC caliber safeties in Jaron Hampton and Jamison Collier. This is a group that wants to play downhill and hit. So, taking us back to where we started with this whole trauma of years past kind of thing, um, this has the flavor of a game, um, and I, it's just hilarious because I feel like we just talked about this at length when we talked about Duke, um, but this has the flavor of a game where in the past... We would just stubbornly plow the ball into the line against a team that was only good at stopping that exact thing. But we are in the Bajakian era now. Um, And this is a game where probably Halinski, maybe Johnson, um, either way, they'll have all day to throw. And again, this line is good. But it's not good in a pass-rushing way. It certainly isn't trench cat caliber good. Um, So, bottom line, 
Ohio is a good defensive team with talent and that culture that we talked about that's going to stick around, even though Solich is now out the door. Um, and all of that needs to be respected. But kind of against the grain of the rest of the early season, Michigan State up until this game, um, this kind of runs a little bit against the grain. I think on this one, I would say if we are willing to kind of open up the offense and we are willing to throw and throw downfield in this game, I am more than confident that this is a D that we can handle. As this is offensively, I mean, they put up some points last year, but again, to Akron and Bowling Green. And yeah, I mean, 27 against Central Michigan, but what do we expect from uh, from the Bobcat offense? Yeah, I mean, I'm basically ignoring last year. I just, it's... It's just so hard to take any takeaways from that, right? So, sure. Um, I'm I'm going to focus a little bit more on uh, what this team looked like under Solich, and you know what what we just casting that forward because, like you said earlier, with with the with the OC taking over the um, head coach job, uh, Tim Albin, I just I don't think you're going to see any change. I think the philosophy is is likely to remain identical on offense, even for a few years here, but. You know, under Solich and Albin uh, together, Ohio played an RPO-heavy offense, and it relied a lot on QB runs and was pretty good at developing offensive line talent. They usually had one of the best in the MAC. Uh, they often reloaded after you know losing two or three All MAC caliber players. So um, that's that's generally how Ohio is structured. They you know generally put up pretty good points. I don't think they had the top MAC offense every year or anything like that, but um, they're certainly a force to be reckoned with on that side of the ball. Uh, in 2019, Nathan Rourke was uh, a 3,000-yard passer as well as the second-leading rusher. And, you know, I mentioned that that they relied on a lot of QB runs. Uh, he went 9-4 his first two starting years and 7-6 and in that 2019 season. Um, they also lost four games by a field goal or less uh, in 2019. Last year, uh, after, um, you know, they only played three, three games, but... Um, Rourke was gone. His younger brother, Curtis Rourke, took over the starting role. Curtis is not much of a runner, but he has a very large arm. Uh, word is that he struggled with the RPL offense and that they became pretty predictable with him in the game. And so enter a familiar alternative for Northwestern fans, former UNLV quarterback Armani Rogers. Uh, you may recall him from the Northwestern's beatdown of UNLV in the now mostly forgotten 2019 season. But uh, one thing you do remember from that game is that Rogers can run. He's always struggled with accuracy, uh, and as a result, he barely threw the ball uh, in his time playing for Ohio last season. Uh, they've also got a freshman named C.J. Harris, who was expected to kind of compete for the for the job last season, but never saw the field. You know, he's he's really nothing spectacular. Um, you know, going into 2021, obviously, you know, you can't take too much away from last year, but there's a couple things that are interesting. Um, so first of all, you know. Rodgers and Harris, um, not Rodgers, uh, sorry, Rourke and Harris could certainly improve in 2021. Rodgers, to me, is a well-known commodity. Like, what what you get with Armani Rodgers is what you get. Like, he's not going to magically become a suddenly accurate, you know, true dual-threat quarterback next year. Um, again, because Albin is replacing Solich, I expect that offense to stay the same. I expect them to be RPO heavy. And that, you know, that bodes well for these quarterbacks getting a little bit better, these younger ones, because they're going to have some consistency within the program. But it also portends some problems if they have an RPO system designed to confuse defenses, but the QBs are so one-dimensional that it loses its effect. I mean, that's that's essentially what happened last year. When Curtis was in, 
they became predictable because they knew he wasn't going to run much, and he struggled with the RPOs. And then when they put Rodgers in, they just stacked the box and shut him down because all he wanted to do was run. He couldn't he couldn't throw. So that I mean that's a potential problem that will work out very well for our defense, I think. Um, dipping into some of their other uh, their their other players on offense. So running back is solid and pretty deep. They didn't lose anybody here. Importantly, they bring back uh, Demontre Tuggle, who was first-team Mac last year. He averaged 6.8 yards per carry across the past two seasons. And uh, O'Shawn Allison, who did pretty much nothing last year but was the leading rusher, also over six yards per carry in 2019. So two really good running backs, uh, depth behind them. Obviously, the running backs are fueled by this RPO scheme, but Ohio has been a really solid pipeline on O-line for years. Uh, almost every year they put multiple O-linemen on the All-Mac team. Uh, they're generally able to reload each season. This year they bring back four starters and a Virginia Tech transfer, and they should be solid. I think, you know, unlike many of the teams that, that uh, we've talked about to date um, that have either major problems on O-line or big questions on O-line or just, you know, like a lack of, of, of clear proven talent in uh, at, at running back, like Ohio's going to be a well-oiled machine running the ball, and that's what they're going to do. The Cats are going to need to bring their tackling form and their discipline uh, to to shut down this offense. Uh, the good news, however, is that the wide receiver core does not pose much of a threat at all. So Isaiah Cox led the team the last two seasons, and he returns. Uh, he's certainly capable of getting deep, but I just shouldn't pose that much of a problem for Northwestern. He's just not that fast or, or that much of a of a you know, physical mismatch. Uh, they lose their number two guy from the last two years. That may be an opportunity for Chase Coakley, a transfer from Abilene Christian. Um, supposed to be the fastest of the bunch, but didn't record any stats in 2020. And they generally start two tight ends. This year, those tight ends are supposed to be the Lurman twins. Uh, one of them often plays in the slot. They're like, they're identical. They're both six foot four, 250 pounds. Um, they appear to be effective uh, in that they catch some passes and obviously contribute in, in blocking for the running game, uh, but they're not on par with the types of tight ends the Cats are used to dealing with in the Big Ten. Think Iowa, think Wisconsin. Um, so, like, overall, you look at this wide receiver group, they just don't pose a lot of matchup problems. I mean, they've got a they've got a six foot five freshman, uh, Armoni Roan, who's coming to the team, but, like, unless he gets on the field and looks, you know really solid in game four of the year, which just doesn't, doesn't really happen for a mid-level recruit. I just, I think Northwestern is going to be able to play base, let the secondary play on islands to cover the targets. We should have a, a athletic advantage, uh, in the secondary and let the front seven smother the run game. I mean, this is not complicated because the personnel, um, even though Northwestern has struggled with RPO dominant offenses in the past, the personnel of, of, of Ohio, and especially the quarterback who's not truly dual threat, no matter who's out there, it's just not the sort of, of, of situation that's going to cause problem for Northwestern. So uh, I think we'll do well against this offense. I think the Bobcats will probably move the ball early while the Cats settle in, but um, this should not be, uh, this should not pose a, a dramatic threat to Northwestern. So Scuzz, uh, sorry, circling back, do you think Armani Rogers, it, will he get the start? Do you think? No, I think, I think, I think Rourke will be the starter. He was, so Rourke was a starter all three games last year. And I think he will okay. be again this year. But Rogers played in all three games last year, and I think that's likely to happen this year again, unless Rourke is suddenly an expert at running the RPO. It's just like the idea of seeing Armani Rogers again at Ryan Field is just hilarious to me. I, uh, it's just the idea and, and hilarious and not concerning at all. No. Yeah, not really. Only be and part of that I feel like is because I 
I don't know. I mean, for all that Ohio does well, I don't know that that his style. I don't like the whole thing was they had an absolute burner at running back, and they went shotgun spread and were in read option on every single play. And in, in the first quarter, it worked. But I just don't think Ohio is wired that way. No, so. they're 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 not. They're definitely not. And I mean, the other the other thing here is that, um, like. <sighs> I know Northwestern has struggled with RPO heavy offenses in the past, like Duke, Minnesota, but in those cases, you know, Daniel Jones really effective with his legs and I'm forgetting the name, but they had that, like they had the, that wide receiver that we just could not cover to save our lives. Um, tearing us up across the middle. That player doesn't exist at Ohio. Uh, same thing with Minnesota, the super talented wide receiver core, the, the big thundering running backs and um, a wicked smart quarterback running that RPO system, Ohio's just not going to be able to mimic that type of dual threat in the way that they operate. They're going to either look run heavy or look pass heavy, and Northwestern's going to be able to uh, to handle that. No problem. Yeah, I think this is where you, you have the advantage of, you know, we root for a team that has historically been designed for decades at this point to beat Iowa and beat Wisconsin. And yeah. Yeah, offensively, Ohio is like a light version of that. So Ohio will come in to Evanston um, after a Thursday night game at Louisiana. They opened the season with Syracuse and Duquesne. Um, so th- they get a couple extra days off, uh, you know, for whatever good that's worth. But you know, my biggest question is, you know, what is more terrifying, the FCS game or the MAC game? This year, it's the Mac Just game. in general. I mean, like, we, we've lost both. But, well, I mean, I, I, I don't know that either of them this year is too concerning. But lest us not get too cocky and, you know, go go down that road, which we have gone down in the past many, many times. Which of these two games, the Ohio game or the Indiana State game, it raises more red flags? Oh, Ohio by far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ohio's, I mean, the, 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 Ohio's the, a good football team. We just like, we we're gonna dominate the tr- the trenches are such a mismatch for us against Indiana State. Even though, like, I would maybe take Indiana State's quarterback over either of these guys. Like, maybe I don't know. Um, he's getting NFL looks. I don't think I don't think Curtis Rourke or, or Armani Rogers are really getting NFL looks at this stage in the game. Um, Wilderman, I think that's Kyle Wilderman. Um. But the the lines are just it's such a mismatch with Indiana State that um I don't think there's I don't think you can really compare. And well and to be fair too, like the lines are a mismatch with Ohio too, but I mean it's funny, like let's give credit where credit is due, right? Like if you look at our first four games, yeah, two of them are power five teams, but those two teams were horrible last year. Ohio hasn't had a season you could call horrible since 2008 like you, like one of the most hilarious things about the Frank Solich era is he was there 17 years they had two losing seasons in those 17 years and those were the two years that they that we played them those two years we never played any of his good Ohio teams we played the two bad ones and if everyone recalls one of those games was an absolute crap fest we won it sixteen to eight, and it was garbage every step of the way. Um, <laughs> and the other—I mean, oh. the other one was was I think his first year, and we won that one going away. But this is just you know a way of saying like this team hasn't had a losing season since two thousand eight. 
So not all those seasons have been like incredible. And I think you have to go all the way back to 2018 to get to where they won nine games. But this is a team that, you know, 2020 wasn't going to happen because they played a short season. In the 11 years before that, they went bowling 10 times. Like, they're just a good football team. They're a good program. Um, And they're not the kind of program that you just come in and F around and expect to just walk away with a win. Um, And I think that's where I think coaching is a big part of this. And I think on the offensive side of the ball, we have a lot of faith that we're going to get a lot more of a dynamic package that's not just going to go into the teeth of what this team does well. Defensively, I'm, I'm curious. I'm not concerned, but I think... I'm, it really, really helps us that our front four defensively is perfectly designed to stop what this team wants to do. Yeah, 100%. Um, it's like not only are they a level above, they're a level above in the exact right way. I mean, you look, but kind of factored into that is I'm thinking, well, we're probably not going to be running a, a traditional 4-3. Um I just like that's I don't think what we're going to be doing defensively this season. I think there's going to be a lot of different stuff. So I am kind of curious how that factors in. And, you know, we talk about with Jim O'Neill, the whole idea of going multiple and doing all different kinds of things. This is the kind of game where we're going to start to get a preview of, well, okay, when Jim O'Neill wants to go heavy, what does that look like, right? Does it end up looking just like the 4-3 that we're all so used to, or is it somehow different? Because that's going to give us a big idea of like what it's going to look like when we play Iowa, what it's going to look like when we play Wisconsin, etc. Um, and, you know, like Scott said... I, I'd, I'd kind of expect some of that against Michigan State, too, to be honest, but it remains to be seen. Right, exactly. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's just funny because, like, we get it. I know Ohio's a MAC team, but 10 bowls the past 11 times they could have gone... Um, and this is a team that, you know, in Solich's tenure, they won 10 games once. They won nine games, I think, four times, five times. Um, it's just a good football team. And they pull in talent as well as any MAC team pulls in talent. So it's just one of those things where, yeah, we're built really well to stop, I think, what they're going to want to do. But it's certainly one of those games where you kind of got to grab it and take control. And again, it's just funny to me to juxtapose where it's like, Oh, like Duke and Michigan State are trying to figure out the world right now. Ohio's not trying to figure out anything. They're just trying to do what they've been doing for the past decade plus. And like Scuzz said, that's going heavy. That's being strong against the run. And that's going heavy, running, running play action out of that, etc. Like that's what they're going to want to do. But I, I, I just think that's not that's not a formula that beats Northwestern, though. Fair. You know, you fair. know what I mean? And, and, and I think totally. Like, the, 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 like it'd be one thing if this was our second game on the calendar. It's not. It's the fourth. There's certainly an opportunity for a letdown coming up. Like let's say Cats go to Duke and and notch a third win or coming back home, you know, pretty high. Like I I think it'd be very possible to come out flat in this Ohio game. Um, the thing is, is like a run heavy team might like punch us in the mouth and you know drive for a couple touchdowns in the first quarter, but they're not going to be up twenty eight nothing at half, right? Um, and it's because they're not an explosive team. They don't have the, the weapons to, to do something like that. I'll also point out that the, the two times that, that Northwestern did lose to a max squad, like, hey, that Western Michigan team was baller awesome. Um, but against both Western Michigan and Akron, there was a critical fumble that resulted in um, seven a seven-point deficit for Northwestern, right? Like, Thorson fumbling before going into the end, right before going into the end zone against Western Michigan, and then um, 
Thorson getting strip sacked for a touchdown against Akron. And like, sure, we get, we give up like strip sack fumbles to any team. We're we're going to be at, at at risk of losing. So, um, just because of, of of how we we tend to play for, um, you know, low margin victories. So, like that notwithstanding, I think, you know, we'll we'll have a better read on if. If we lose to Duke, if we struggle with Indiana State, you know, if the Indiana State game looks like the Mick McCall era where we just stubbornly plow into the line every every play and, and we will run the ball, damn it, uh, or, or, or we'll die trying, well, then we're going to have some concerns going into Ohio. But I think, I think right now that would be premature. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I totally agree. I think the one other kind of almost annoying thing about this is, again, Ohio – Ohio is going to do what they want to do. And like Scott says, I think we're well-equipped to handle that thing. But Ohio's not just going to roll over, right? Like, they've got enough talent that they're stubbornly going to try to do that thing. What's weird is, one week later, we play a Nebraska team that is almost the exact opposite of this team. And I don't like that. Um, They're just so different. Um, Offensively, defensively. And not to say that they're... Like, and again, like we've thrown a lot of shade in Nebraska. I'm not saying Nebraska's bad and not to step on a Nebraska preview either. They're just very different. And that is just kind of strange where it's like, we're going to have to make such a big stylistic shift from one game to another because of a game that we don't pull a conference win out of if we win it. It's just a non-con game. So again, it's, it's, it's all those weird little things. Um, and again, you know, as we all said off the top, we're all traumatized by events of the past uh, involving this type of game. But, you know, to bring us back to the warm blanket of what Scuzz has effectively pointed out is like Northwestern year in and year out is designed to beat this exact type of team. And we have a massive talent differential here that also plays to our advantage. Uh, anything else on Ohio? I mean, I, it, this is it's the end of our non-con, as you say. We're, you know, going to Nebraska the week after. So, uh, I, th- you know. I think we learn more about Mike Bajakian in these in this stretch of three games: Indiana State, Duke, and Ohio, than um, in any stretch to date. I think this is going to be really telling for for what he truly wants to do or, or, or what we can truly expect if, 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 if the Bajakian reign will truly be a sea change from what we have with McCall, or if it is, if, if the, if, if the approach in the McCall area era was more of a Fitzian approach with just, you know, um, poor play calling and player development and Bajakian is going to be, you know, a step up in some ways, but not a sea change on offense like we had hoped when he when he was hired. Well, and to be fair, I guess like f- the Fitz part of it, right? Is like to what extent is Fitz going to be like we're playing Nebraska next week, and that's all I care about, right? Fitz, <laughs> Fitz is being like swallow I, the play. I swallowed Fitz, the playbook, Mike. Right? Fitz is being like I will lose to Indiana State five times if it means we don't lose in the month of October. <laughs> So it's like, we're going to, Scuzz is right. Like, we're going to find out. We're going to find out what that means in the Bajakian era. All right. Well, uh, let's close the book on our non-conference and uh, go from there. Uh, Head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Westlot Pirates. You can always email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. 
Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us, the West Lot of Ryan Field, flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe, Eric Skazbun, and Sam Walter, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.